I'm going to put a disclaimer in right now. Before you listen to this podcast, there is a section in the middle where we go a little off topic and we start talking shorts, but we had a very great conversation following that about the basketball team. You don't want to miss it. If you need to seriously skip the short squeeze, listen to the basketball content. Just wanted to give you a forewarning. Welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Hummer, today is the greatest, second greatest of days, second greatest of days, to be a fan of ice-losing, beer-chugging, former Bearcat football players. Travis Kelsey, back to the Super Bowl. Representing uh, has, I mean, honestly, nobody, nobody in history has represented the Bearcat football name, brand, image better than Travis Kelsey. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. There's well, you're not wrong. In the NFL ring. In the realm of being a professional football player, I don't think you could point to anybody and say they have accomplished more as a former Bearcat in the NFL. Especially when you consider what he's on track to do. I mean, this is not a guy who's at the end of his career and we're paying homage to a legend, uh, you know, who's who's kind of on his last legs, paying homage. We'll talk about that later, by the way. Um, no, this is a guy who's in his prime on track to become the greatest receiving tight end in NFL history. Think about who that's in. Like, think about who we're actually talking about now when we're saying greatest pass catching tight ends. Antonio Gates. You're talking Gronk Gronkowski. Who's Rob Gronkowski? Who's going to be on Gonzalez, the other side? And, Shannon Sharp. We're going to see Gronk on the other side of the football too, which is incredible. Two P players who are basically at opposite, almost opposite spectrums of their career. Gronk grinding it down, and Kelsey just ramping it up. I'm really hoping to see Kelsey get touchdown. Just fucking Gronk spike it. <laughs> One can only hope I'm definitely pulling for the chiefs in that game. Um, and I, and look, it's, it's certainly recency bias in terms of declaring him the greatest Bearcat football player in history. I am by no means a Bearcat football historian. Uh, I did, I've done my best in some respects to try and look up some of the past Bearcat greats. I know about a lot of the modern ones, you know, we've got Antoine peak, We've got Trent Cole, got Connor Barwin. Uh, you know, there's plenty to name. There's plenty to touch on. There, there's, there's lots of guys who deserve, deserve recognition, but we are talking about Travis Kelsey having, having a career that's going to be worthy of first ballot Hall of Fame consideration. And if he hadn't sat out the last game of this season, he may have led the entire NFL in receiving yards. Uh, it's fun to watch. He's a character. He's easy to root for. He plays with the best quarterback in the NFL. And now they are playing against the ultimate villain of the NFL, Tom Brady, the unequivocal Is he the ultimate villain. Maybe he's not anymore. I think he's actually more likable that he, he left new England and he's just completely defying all odds onto his 10th Super Bowl. 
uh, just an obscene career. But I, I still consider him the ultimate villain. It doesn't, Don't. his career is so illogical. Like it, it defies reason. And because of that, I consider him a villain. Well, someone was asking today uh, on, a, on a work call, they're like, well, who, who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? And everybody's giving their reasons why. And at first, it did, I can't believe it escaped me in the, in the middle of the conversation that, you know, Travis Kelsey, is, or yeah, Travis Kelsey in the Super Bowl, Bearcat. And I'm like thinking, no, I'm actually rooting for, for Tom Brady here because, like you said, he defied the odds. We're, we're seeing, okay, well, was it only Bill Belichick was the reason why he was great? Or is it because he was constantly surrounded by decent weapons and that they got for cheap when he was with the Patriots? And I, I think it's he's just good. He's the GOAT. And I was kind of rooting for number seven. But now all that's out the window. You are right. He is the villain. F Tom Brady. Because I want to see Kelsey get a second ring. Anybody who's trying to stop Travis Kelsey from getting Super Bowl wings and adding to that Kelsey you know, ring total. what His brother's got one. Jason's already got a ring. Uh, with the Eagles, your beloved yeah. Eagles. Now I just and, want to see them fight, man. You know, if a civil, sibling rivalry, there's nothing stronger than it. Next thing you know, Eagles are back in a Super Bowl. That's right. It's the best sibling rivalry in the NFL since Peyton and Eli. Uh, but look, we're, we're letting it distract us from the fact that we did, you know, if we're talking about Travis Kelsey's greatness, I was curious who, who were some of the other great Bearcat football players of all time. Uh, you brought up a, a great candidate, and I wanted to hear about it. Uh, I was going to say, you were talking about paying homage and we're talking about, and I was like, who, who better to pay homage than the, the guy who our stadium's named after? I mean, he wants to be a candidate for greatest Bearcat ever. He literally died for the Bearcats. Not quite on the field, but close to on the field. You know, he, he died from an injury he sustained wearing a Bearcat uniform. And that's Jimmy Nippert. T- tell you, me more about Jimmy Nippert because I got to be honest. You told story. me you 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 hinted at this story before we started recording, and I I've always known it to be Nippert Stadium, and I'm embarrassed to say I never researched the origin story of where that name came from, who it belonged to, who were who we named the stadium after. I just I didn't know. I assumed it was an old donor or a former you know. I, you know, it could have been a former player, but I just didn't know the actual backstory. Just, you, so you just tell me more it was, about it. You thought it was an old, rich, white guy just <laughs> who they built the stadium for. Yeah. You know, in the same vein of Marge Shot, you know, just some awful history that I didn't want to know about that uh, I just, you know, was similar willfully the, ignorant about. I'm sorry. I apologize. Similar to the the same situation we're running into with the, uh, the College of Arts and Sciences, the McMicken College of Arts and Sciences. Um, no, fortunately for us, the football stadium has no such controversy. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy Nippert was a football player for the university, and he died on Christmas Day in 1923. So the story gets really dark, really morbid, really quickly. Uh, and he died from septicemia following a leg injury that he suffered while while on the field. Um, Did you say septicemia? What is septicemia? Septicemia, I believe, it's just like an infection of the like the blood. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. My wife's asleep, so I can't really go wake her up. Okay. Um, but Nippert's last words, I'm going to quote here from the Cincinnati Enquirer reporting, uh, were, were of the sport he loved and which cost him his life. And I quote, five more yards to gain and drop. He murmured and died. Yeah, so his, his death greatly affected his grandfather, who happened to be one of the gambles, yes, the gambles of Proctor and Gamble. And he provided the $250,000 needed to finish the stadium. 
He thought it would be a good memorial to his grandson. Uh, but he also did some something kind of cool, which is he put conditions into the contract that they basically had to have like a like an infirmary type of type of deal built into the stadium, so that way if any player was injured on the field, they would be able to to give them immediate medical attention. Um, I think the NFL might need to take more notice of that when they're looking at long-term research. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's a cool story because it also leads to basically, if I'm not mistaken, and if you're a historian out there, by all means, correct me on this. This is all just me trying to remember bits and pieces of the story here. The whole lower of that concrete bowl with the steps is pretty much, I think, what they actually used the money to build. Um, and that's we're either the second oldest or the oldest actively used stadium in college football. Harvard is either the other number one or two. I don't remember which direction it goes, um, but it's, it's been a lasting memorial. Um, so I think, I think Jimmy Nipper does qualify for potentially one of the greatest Bearcats of all time. Yeah. I mean, that was a sad story. Um, as you were telling it, I kind of felt this overwhelming feeling of regret uh, for even bringing for it up me, and, and kind of, and kind of, chuckling at the matter it's it's certainly not funny and was not funny for jimmy's family but uh a very cool uh respect they paid to the university or to jimmy's legacy at the university by uh you know contributing to the stadium helping finishing it off and honestly ahead of their time in terms of the type of medical attention they knew would be necessary in the game of football moving forward now i, 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 I you alluded to someone too because i know we're telling a sad story let's another bearcat great is actually this one's a legend though i don't know what the the facts the how factual this one is but it involves the the naming of our mascot let's be real i love the bearcats and i love bearcats in general um they're not the most menacing of creatures you know we've learned on previous podcasts that they're very nocturnal they they live in trees high up they generally avoid confrontation um but not our Bearcats. You know, we dive head first after loose balls. We go balls to the wall a hundred yards at a time. Where did the Bearcat name come from? Well, yeah, that's definitely the first thing that popped into my head was another, you know, origin story for the actual name of the program and the mascot of the university of Cincinnati. Everybody knows Bearcats are not the most attractive animal in the wild. And we've seen it with our beloved Lucille at the Cincinnati zoo by the way, if you're interested in learning more about her, please go back into the archives, deep archives of Cincy Slangin. We talked to uh, Sarah from the Cincinnati Zoo. She's the the handler of Lucille. Sarah, right? Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. From the Cincinnati Zoo. <laughs> from the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, and great, great information about her. If you look at our new logo, uh, that came from the, the likes of Justin and uh, Justin H on Twitter. I'm actually, again, I'm, I'm ridiculous with names. I'm sitting here scrambling to try and look it up, but I believe it was Justin Hubbard uh, who helped us out with that. And you can see, give, give him a follow. Do you have a, do you have his Twitter handle pulled up there? What, get, I do. Go, go and give him a follow. Him. Yeah, definitely give Justin a follow. He does really cool things on Twitter uh, by taking opponents logos and recreating them in the, in the spirit of a Cincinnati Bearcat logo. Very fun. That's how we found him in the first place. You can follow him at Captain underscore Cincy, C-A-P-T-A-I-N underscore Cincy, C-I-N-C-Y. Uh, we reached out to Justin. 
he revamped our logo, made a bear cat, which I've received feedback on from multiple people who called it scary. And I chuckled when I heard it. it. It's probably not the first thing you want to hear, but honestly, it's a good representation of what a bear cat is. It's a scary thing to look at. So kudos to Justin. We love the new logo. Hope you like it too. Uh, appreciate the help there. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, but look, what, I was kind of, again, digressing here. It's all right. I'm about, I was about to digress because I'm going through and looking at some of the logos that he done. And one of them that I thought was, just, was funny is because it, it, it looks like a hard one to just do is the SMU logo. Because, you know, it's literally just old style college block letters SMU with the, with the galloping horse underneath of it. And when you have a galloping uh, bear cat, it just kind of just it looks like a cat just bouncing, you know, getting ready to chase a laser pointer up the wall. I just want to correct something. I wasn't even close on Justin's last name. Uh, Justin's Justin's last name is uh, Justin Hargett, and I hope he doesn't. Maybe I should have just called him Justin. I, I might have to edit this whole thing out. But um, anyway, let's continue. So back on October 31st, 1914, uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats football team clashed with the University of Kentucky Wildcats. And at the time, uh, UC had a star player that was named Leonard K. Teddy, his nickname, Bear. And it was during the second half. I'm pulling this, by the way, directly from GoBearCats.com. So it is out there. It is an urban legend, but it's been validated by the university itself. But during the second half of that hard-fought football game, you see cheerleader. They're giving credit to the actual person who started this. It's like Dusty Baker starting the high five. You see cheerleader Norman Pat Lyon was excited about the efforts of fullback Leonard K. Teddy Bear created the chant. They may be wildcats, but we have a bear cat on our side. The crowd took up the cry. Come on, bear cat. And the rest is history. From then on, we were known as the University of Cincinnati Bearcats. I'm almost positive that if you read or created an audiobook, I would definitely listen to it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you kid, you kid. Uh, apparently, it actually, so it didn't actually take hold immediately, but a couple years later, uh, you know, I think within a few years, 1919 or so, we officially became the Cincinnati Bearcats because. Uh, people liked it. People liked the chant. People liked the bear legacy. So another great Cincinnati bear cat for different reasons. Leonard Teddy Bear, another guy that can't be forgotten because of what he meant to the actual naming of the University of Cincinnati. So is that that's three of the four Mount Rushmore. We've got Jimmy Nippert. We've got Leonard Bear. We've got Travis Kelsey. Who's your fourth Mount Rushmore for Cincinnati Bearcats football? I know mine. I want to hear yours first. My fourth? Yes. Who's the fourth person you're putting on our Mount Rushmore for Cincinnati Bearcats football? The official Cincy slang in Mount Rushmore. I mean, I'm definitely going to have to to go ahead and go with Gino Gadouli. Uh, I'm going with Gino because he played during an era that kind of ushered ushered the the last 20 years of this pro are we in 20 years by now the last 10 years of this program last 15 years of this program he he was kicking that off you know he was being a great bearcat before it was cool to be a great bearcat you know so from i think it was 2001 2004 he became the school's all-time leading pass passing 
passer. The record still holds today. There is an outside might be, shot. Might be toppled next year. Might be. It's a tall order. I think it's like 281 yards that Ritter's going to have to average through the air in order to get that done. Um, but it is possible. Nothing. Nothing's out, outside of the realm of possibilities here. And that's also considering the fact that we had a shortened season for Ritter's as well this year so let's take that into account add another couple games two or three games to the schedule maybe that average is down to a couple hundred just you know a solid 200 or 190 per per game and we're even closer to it but either way he kind of helped put us on the map in terms of getting us to that next stage once we get into the big east once we're getting mark dan antonio on once we're getting those recruits who then lead into the brian kelly kelly era so he was just that he was that guy the presence of those early teams when we were just you know starting to make our way through the college football in the modern era I like it. It's a solid nomination. I don't think it's the right choice though. And I think I'm going to be able to sell you on who that fourth person is. And we know him well. He is the culture setter for the current team. He is the man that, that took us to what should have been our first college football playoff last season before we were wrongfully snubbed and robbed by the corrupt playoff committee. I am saying that Luke Fickle belongs on our Mount Rushmore. And maybe it's a bit of a projection. This might be the equivalent of me building a statue or putting John Brandon in the Hall of Fame like you did, uh, I think, in John Brandon's second game. You didn't even give me time to be like, okay, (laughs) wait a minute. Because if if I rewound the tapes, I'm pretty sure somewhere in there, we said, what does Luke Fickle have to do in order to become legendary? as a, a be a legendary coach. And I, I think we even said, or maybe, maybe we said that the bar was getting us into the playoffs, right? Or I know I keep saying playoffs and everybody can just deal with it. All right. There's two <laughs> games that are played. It's, it's plural, whatever. Um, either way, like I'm not opposed to putting him on the Mount Rushmore, but if, if we don't make the playoff next year and granted that could be of no fault to his own, you know, because the, the system is corrupt, but he leaves the he leaves the school. He goes to greener pasture. Ryan Day goes to the NFL. Worst case scenario, house is burning down. Nipper gets set on fire. You know, are we putting him on our Mount Rushmore? I don't think we are. No, he he's not. So he's not on Rushmore yet because at this point, his biggest achievement is high recruiting rankings. He's got an American Athletic Conference title now uh, on his plaque. Uh, but besides that, we're still we're still in process, right? I think if he had won the Peach Bowl, if they'd pulled off the victory against Georgia, the case is even stronger. But if we're projecting out and if Luke Fickle decides to continue coaching at the University of Cincinnati for another five, seven years, hey, I think it's I think it's within realm to say this guy was gonna belong. On the Rushmore. I mean, honestly, oh, 100%. Brian, Brian for- Kelly deserves consideration, frankly, despite being here for only a few years because of the level that he achieved at this university. And he kind of he solidifies solidified us as you can win big at this school. And it became a, you know, a very attractive job for rising coaches or washed up coaches like Tommy Tupper. Look, I'm not. I'm one. I'm going to completely disagree with you that Brian Kelly should be on 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 Mount Rushmore. I'm not going to let you take that back. I'm not letting you (laughs) take it back. back. But I I will agree with you that if Fickle is here, even three more years, you know, three more years, I think it maybe is the minimum bar here. You know, because I think that gets them here six, seven years. That's a that's an actually like a normal career at a at any school. 
you know, they say is, I think I read the article with um, Nick Saban is 10 years too long for any coach out of school. Well, if you're an Alabama fan, no, All right, You want Nick Saban there forever. So that was a dumb, dumb title, but either way, I think that's in enough. Okay. You did put your time in here. You, you did what you said you were going to do. I think that, I think that that qualifies for it. Um, and what I like about Luke Fickle right now is he, I feel like they have that ship of just this unfinished business. I think that's like going to be the theme of next season. So I just feel like this team's going to be so motivated and hungry. Um, not to sidetrack too much, but I saw that, you know, Bleacher Report put a picture of Stefan Diggs watching the Chiefs celebration after the Bills loss uh, right next to the Justin Harris photo of him watching the, the Bulldogs celebrating their Peach Bowl victory. Yeah. Unpopular opinion. I don't think that that is cool. Like, I don't actually get why we make such a big deal of watching the other team celebrate. What's what's the big deal? Because you're doing it alone, and you're you're doing it, and what you're doing is you're you're getting it's it's a motivational thing. It's kind of like when you hear the stories of Michael Jordan when someone talks shit to him, and all of a sudden he's like, "Oh man, you're done," and he just goes and just destroys you because that's his mentality. His mentality is is fueling anger, is using anger to fuel you to take you to that next level. Um, or taking something as like a personal slight against you. I feel like that's what we're trying to imagine. I think we're all trying to picture what Justin Harris uh, Harris is thinking in that moment of why he's out there watching it. And I think that's why that photo is so powerful and resonates with so many people. Here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of JJ Watt begging the cameras to chase him around on hard knocks so that they could see him working out air quotes alone. Like, it, it's a bit much like you're laying it on thick by being maybe not Justin Harris because he's not a big enough name, but if you're Stefan Diggs, come on, man, you're Stefan Diggs, you know, people are watching you putting it, you're doing it for the cameras. You're doing it for the this gram. Is, this is the second time it's happened to Stefan Diggs. This is the second time he's played in an, in a championship game. The first one was the NFC championship game again with the Vikings where he loses to the Philadelphia Eagles who then go on to win a Super Bowl. This is this now he's watching it where he's playing with the Bills. He's playing with the with the against the Chiefs and he loses for the second time. Yeah. This man is pissed. I don't think he's out there looking think... for the cameras because the camera's so far away from him. He didn't go out there and be like, "Oh, hey man, they know... go Come on, man. The camera's on him all the time. I, is he suffering any more than anyone else in that locker room? Like, come on. Come it's on. a way of motivation, man. Hey, and guess what? You know what it's good for? JJ it's Watt good. vibes. No, this is good press. This is good press for Cincinnati. <laughs> we made the front news. We made the front page of Bleacher Report, and it really had nothing to do with us. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. Like, Justin Harris wasn't as big of a deal uh, or big of a name as Stefan Diggs, but come on. Justin Harris is, is, you know, he's on my, like, alternate for the Mount Rushmore at the moment. You know, his, <laughs> stock's, his stock is trading high. Not well, look, GME. I, I don't think we – I don't think we really settled who the fourth player on our personal Mount Rushmore is. I think we, we think Luke Fickle has a chance. I'm taking my Brian Kelly statement back. Let's act like it never happened. I may even edit it out of the podcast. Uh, Kevin you, Huber, Kevin Huber goes down as number four. <laughs> greatest punter, but greatest punter in the history of punting. Uh, greatest bangle punter broke his jaw. Had it wired shut. I got an autograph. I got a T-shirt autograph from him one time at a tailgate, at the UC tailgate. I mean, he's he's just a nice guy. So he's he's number number four A. Number I feel like B. Trent. I feel like Trent Cole has slept on. I feel like Trent Cole is someone who probably should be more revered in terms of how freaking good he was, how how successful he was at the pro level. You know, I think he made two time Pro Bowler. A lot of let me see how many career sacks this guy had. 66 career sacks, and he was on the all-rookie team. Yeah. 
60, I, mean, I have 90, 90.5 career sacks. 10 years in Philadelphia, you got 85 and a half sacks. Trent Cole's on my Rushmore. That's who I'm going with. I'm going with Trent Cole. Based okay. on the NFL career, we've got we've got two sentimental choices. We've got the naming, the name rights of Nippert. We've got the Bearcat origin story. We've got Travis Kelsey, the most, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. Where do you put Brent Selleck? You know, he's what's are we just are we just making this? We we're at four, right? Are we just moving down and we just we just creating a top ten here? (laughs) No, a Mount Rushmore. We're sticking with our Mount Rushmore. We've paid homage to the four Bearcats that we think deserve kudos on this podcast, and now it's time for you to pay. Oh my. Yeah, I'm not finished here. Mount Rushmore wasn't finished, man. It's an unfinished mural. That was a great transition you ruined. Oh, I know it was, and I ruined it because Mount Rushmore is an unfinished piece of work. Look, it wasn't so long ago that a certain president was trying to change it to have a fifth bust of himself added up there, you know? So, <laughs> and I'm with that, giving, I'm not we will pay. Bro. And if that, we will pay homage. We'll be back. Founded in 2007, Homage turns back the clock with shout-outs to eclectic moments and personalities in sports, music, and popular culture. From Billie Jean King to Larry Bird, Homage tells stories of triumph, individualism, and hustle. Preserving the old school and creating new legacy, pay homage at www.homage.com. I am personally pumped about checking out the sweatshirt that they have on their pop culture collection, chilling out Maxon, just like our boy Travis Kelsey in the Super Bowl. Get your UC gear, get your Cincinnati gear in the Cincinnati collection. And don't forget, you can shop online at www.homage.com and in six stores across Ohio, including their over the Rhine street location right here in Cincinnati. Just say to the clerk, slangin'. Cynthia Slangin, Cynthia Slangin, Cynthia Slangin sent us for your 21% off discount. And don't forget, if you're shopping online, use the checkout at checkout Slangin, S-L-A-N-G-I-N, for your 21% off your entire order. This goes through January, it started January 4th. We're taking us all the way through February 4th. Time is running out. Get your gear today. We're back. We're, we're on the podcast again. I think you'll look really good in that sweatshirt, but I'd they love to see how much they, they got matching sweatpants too. Well, I'm so sitting here like chilling out, maxing and in the sweatpants, stay relaxing all cool. Oh, you got to get that for yourself. Get, get you some, but honestly, like how, how great would it be if homage made a Travis Kelsey shirt? Like, is that too much to ask? Can we, can we talk to some people? Let's talk to some people and see if we can get do, a Travis do, Kelsey Do we just call shirt. it the luge? <laughs> Has he ever been caught luging before? It was, uh, was he? The, I thought he was the Kelsey who drank the, the beer off the ice luge on the airplane. One of them drank it. Okay. <laughs> All right. I missed that. This is their Super Bowl celebrations, man. You get the you get the one you get uh, Jason uh, Kelsey who was who was wearing the Mummers outfit for all of you. If you guys didn't know this in Cincinnati, if you go and look up the Philadelphia celebration, he's wearing this really goofy outfit that kind of almost looks like he fits in New Orleans. That's called a Mummers. It's a Mummers outfit. It's a tradition in uh, Philadelphia, uh, where every New Year's New Year's Day they do the Mummers parade. They parade all throughout the city wearing those get-ups and they dance and people drink and eat pork. Um, that's where he. That's where he drank. Uh, that's what he wore. And then I believe Travis Kelsey drank 
and chugged a beer from an ice luge on the plane on their way home from the Super Bowl that year. You are 100% correct. Travis Kelsey did, in fact, do an ice luge or, yeah, an ice luge off of the Lombardi Trophy after winning the Super Bowl last year. So if I know I know my drinkers. You know your ice luges. <laughs> Good call by you, Hummer. Uh, but let's let's keep the conversation moving here. I definitely want to get into the Bearcats basketball team a little bit. Obviously, we're in the midst of uh, what is becoming six consecutive games postponed due to COVID. Uh, this week, we're missing the game against Wichita State. We're also we had the game postponed on Saturday uh, against South Florida. So hopefully, next week we're back on the court against Temple at home. TBD on that. Obviously, with COVID, you just never know. Uh, wishing my best for the team. Hopefully everyone is making a full recovery. Anyone who was actually infected with COVID-19. And I hope the university is taking every single precaution they need to, uh, to make sure that these guys stay healthy and are well taken care of. Um, before we talk about the basketball team, I want to hear a little bit about what you've missed the most uh, with, the, with the basketball team on this big hiatus. Before we do though, I know you've had a whirlwind of a day. Cause you got in on this, uh, no, this don't game. be burying, don't be burying the lead about my I'm feelings here. It because I want to hear about your experience today on the GameStop heater. You don't, oh. you jumped in, didn't you? Oh, I did. Of course um, you did. You can't help yourself. Yeah. I mean, it was probably, I, I said the most ridiculous thing in the world is I want to be part of history. I want to be part of the, the group of, of regular Joes who took down the Wall Street hedge funds. So so explain to people in, in the most simple terms you can what happened, what has been happening with GameStop? GameStop is, I'm assuming everybody's familiar with GameStop. If you're not, they're basically an old school, the new, I guess it would be the new school comic book store, right? Comic book stores still exist, but there's very few of them. And, you know, but you go there and they have a, they have a small, but very specific purpose. GameStop's purpose is to basically sell used video games in store because everybody downloads their video games. Now it's seeing as a dying business. Well, last year, uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but basically the CEO and founder of Chewy who has successfully, this is not an ad for Chewy, by the way, but they have successfully competed against Amazon in the pet uh, accessory industry and built this Goliath. Uh, he invested and became basically like a 15 or 13% shareholder in GameStop. He also was able to maneuver and get three people on the board. So the stock has slowly been taking off. In the meantime, the big mean nasties over at Melvin Capital have decided they want to short the stock and they say it's going down. Well, Redditors didn't like that so much, and the popular sub subreddit called Wall Street Bets decided it is time to send GameStop to the moon. <laughs> so we all jump on board, and we rise that stock price straight up through the roof. Uh, it, today was just a whirlwind of emotions. It starts off at $61 a share of 66. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Which is it already shoots, like that's already too high for GameStop, right? It's already too high. Okay. That has up, no business being that high for, for a stock for GameStop. It shoots up, it shoots up before 10:30 to up to $151 a share. I think 155 <laughs> at the high. Within an hour, one hour, it went from 155 to $60 a share. So in between this whole mountain and peak, I decide I want to be a part of the fun. 
So I purchased GameStop share at $90 a share on the way up. Didn't care. I, only bought, I bought like five of them. Uh, and then it goes down to 60. I'm like, oh, that sucks. I, I love this though because you you pride yourself on being super analytical with all this stuff. I I talk to you off 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 pod frequently about what you're doing, how you're playing, you know, what you're dabbling in, and this is just completely contrary to everything I hear from you. Typically, you're just like, I just want to be in. I just want to. I want to be a part of the movement. Yeah, this was this was purely me just probably donating money, but then something magical happened um, today. If you were following the stock market, you might have seen a little mini stock market crash happen right around 11.30 a.m. Uh, rumor is Melvin Capital or Citron, I don't remember which one, basically had to start unloading all of their positions earlier in the day because they needed cash to be able to buy these GameStop shares. So essentially, they were in the process of going bankrupt um, because of what, what we were doing with the, what was, I won't say we're doing, because it's not like we're a collective group. We're all just individuals buying stocks. Uh, but either way, so they're unloading a sense of market says, well, they get bailed out by their other party involved with the other side of the trade that they're on. Um, so tomorrow's going to be an interesting day. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Well, I can't wait to hear from you and I'll try and keep an eye on it. Um, it sounds like a, a scene from the show billions. I don't know if you're a billions watcher, oh, but yeah. this, the kind of offloading you were talking about from, from Citron or whoever that was, that sounds like what would happen with Axe Capital from a from a leverage play gone wrong or something. So there's a very solid chance, actually, when all this is said and done, they probably obviously, let's face it, no one goes to jail for stock market manipulation. Um, you know, white collar criminals, they never they never get caught. There's just no just loss. ask anybody yeah. involved with 2008. Um, but there actually is a real chance that there is an investigation around this and more than likely uh someone in one of those two hedge fund firms will get fined serious amounts of money uh, because it is stock market manipulation. What they actually did to cause that price to go up to 151 and then crash within seconds um, and all the strategies around that of what they're doing. Um, so that part's interesting, but you know, in the you... end, in the end, GME, it's going back to the moon it's going to go back to the moon tomorrow. <laughs> Basically what it's called, if you guys really want to know, it's called a short squeeze. Uh, That's what we want to this, know, yeah. And I'll explain this like you're five. Uh, basically, I have 10 bananas. Coomer wants to borrow my 10 bananas. He takes my 10 bananas and he borrows them, but then he sells them immediately thinking, you know what? I'm going to be able to go get these bananas a lot cheaper somewhere else. Uh, but all the other monkeys in our in our village, see Coomer do that. And they're pissed off that he did that thinking he's going to go buy the bananas cheaper. So instead of selling him the bananas, they hold on to the bananas and drive the price of the bananas up. So when Coomer has to give me my bananas back, he actually has to pay more for what than what he sold them for. That is what is happening uh, in layman's terms to these, to these Melvin capitals of the world is uh, they've bought, borrowed and sold all the shares available. There are no more shares for them to borrow, to sell and make money and keep, keep afloat. So at this point, they're becoming what's called short squeezed. So when they have to resell those or give me my bananas back, they have to go out to the open market and buy them at whatever price the market says they cost. Great explanation. Honestly, you kept it very simple for, for the layman like me, uh, the guys who, who know nothing. Um, but I will say this, when I talked to you this morning about the GameStop thing, and I wanted you to explain it a little bit to me, uh, you know how when a meteorologist talks about you know, one of these epic hurricanes that's hitting, hitting the coast 
and they're uncomfortably excited about it, right? The tone in their voice, there's devastation that's that's coming, that's imminent upon the coast of America. You know, New Orleans will be no more. Houston is in trouble. All of this, you know, destruction is is coming down on the shore. Humans are going to be, you know, dislocated, you know, not dislocated. What's the word I'm looking for? Displaced. They'll no longer have a home. Yet the meteorologist is excited because of the unprecedented size of this oncoming storm. That's what you sounded like when talking about the GameStop short squeeze. So I just Dude, needed, I I needed so, it to be I documented. I was so excited about it. I'm still excited about it. Like, I'm terrified because tomorrow, like for, one of our friends asked about it in a group where we were talking about oh, hype. And he, you know, I said my side of the story. And he says his side of the story. And, then, and as I told you when we hopped on here, I'm like, honestly, it could go either way. <laughs> it is purely betting. There is no rhyme or reason to any of this. At some point, someone will be left holding the bag on GameStop. Someone's going to. It's either you're going to squeeze these shorts and they're not going to be able to hold out, which there's that's the prevailing theory is that as long as we, the retail investors, keep the price above $60 a share, that they're, they're screwed. The, the, that Wall Street will lose and the, the little guys will win. Um, that's, that's the theory, at least. So, yeah, I am excited and I want to be part of the history. I want to be part of who, someone who took down Melvin Capital with my five measly shares. Well, we've probably gone on too long about GameStop and Melvin Capital and short squeezes. And I love that you're optimistic and that you have this theory that the little man is going to take down Wall Street. Uh, I don't think there's any precedent for that in, in mankind, in history of mankind. So Godspeed to you, sir. Godspeed to the rest of you. Reddit, Wall Street investors. Um, I thought it was hilarious. Hopefully you guys did too. Um, but Hummer, visit, visit, go ahead and visit the subreddit Wall Street Bets. But if you really want some, some <laughs> better, not crazy things, check out more things more along the lines of like uh, the subreddit stocks. Uh, fat tire is another good one. Basically means retire with a fat wallet fat bank account um I, I think the fire is is okay uh, but some of those people tell unrealistic stories i think in terms of getting financially independent um stop yeah. sorry stop. i'm just if you want to go down the rabbit hole that's where you go if you want go, to go down go the to- rabbit hole subscribe to the slang and investments podcast uh we're gonna start dropping that every wednesday uh hummer is gonna have charts it's gonna be live streamed i'm looking forward to it no like- not New Jim Cramer. <laughs> Dude, Jim Cramer, Jim Cramer loves us. He actually defended us on CNBC today, uh, basically saying like this is. Because all right, we're moving on, Hummer. We're moving. Can't move on, man. You got me down. You got me. You got me all fired up about it. Uh, all right. Long story short, it's free speech, man. I can say whatever I want. You say whatever you want. You do it. By First GME. Amendment. I'm currently long in a position five shares. By <laughs> GME. Send it to the moon. Buy and hold, though. Don't don't be a pa- don't be paper hands. Be diamond hands. Fantastic. All right. How do we move back on from your, there? Back to, back to your original question. What am I missing the most? Uh, well, let's talk about that. I want to hear, we've been, it's been so long without Bearcats basketball. Obviously there was a huge layoff between March, uh, March of last season. And then when the season started this year, and now here we are in the middle of the season. I know it hasn't gone great, right? The Bearcats are three and seven. There's a lot of frustrations about lineups and how guys are. Are we three and seven? I, I kind of honestly forgot. We are. We're three and seven, but it's been so long now without Bearcats basketball. We're, and if we're the playing Nets, basketball still. There is playing an outside chance. Season, there's, a season. <laughs> there's an outside chance that we go a month plus without seeing the Bearcats on the court. I'm curious. 
what you have missed most about seeing the Bearcats on the, on the floor so, over these last few weeks? Definitely it would have to be the crippling anxiety um, of pondering over how many minutes certain players are going to play um, and when those minutes are being played, are we going to try to, to run the off, force, force feed the offense through wow. you know, a giant ball through a very tiny square hole so Not even a round you, hole. you are getting no pleasure from watching the Bearcats this season. This is depressing. I mean, come I on. Am, I am. I'm being a little facetious, you know, because it is, it is a tough season. And, you know, we had a first, like the first week was honestly was like reflective, you know, to a point where you're we like, I think I text you and I was like, Oh my God, like I'm actually seeing this and we're last in the conference. Like, and this kind of talking about the embarrassment that comes with like going basically from first to worst. Um, and just kind of like the unacceptableness of all that. And then realizing, okay, well, we didn't get a chance to play Temple. We didn't get a chance to play Tulane. We didn't get a chance to play, you know, the other bottoms of the barrels to kind of pull us out there because there could have been a swing that basically put us into the the fifth or sixth spot in the conference, which ironically is where our favorite analyst, John Rothstein, picked us to be. Um, maybe maybe the man is, is more insightful than we originally gave him credit for. Um, but we didn't get to see that. And so naturally here we are today. We, you mentioned we haven't played in four for almost two weeks. There's, I think, been four games canceled. Um, we're on the verge of potentially having Temple canceled. Um, if you notice a break and a little edit there, that's because uh, Coomer, who's wearing this this uh, seafaring hat, looks like he just got off a, a boat in the Wild Catch Alaska edition. Um, but what I was saying is, it's if I'm not mistaken, our next game actually isn't scheduled till February 4th. So we're going to have at least three weeks of basketball not being played. Right. And so you have a team that was already struggling to gel on the court that didn't have a great flow that, that really wasn't putting two halves together. And you have them going a long stretch now without playing regular full practice, you know, full court basketball. Um, it's hard to imagine that it's going to be a cohesive performance when they're back on the court against temple we're going to have to reinstall the whole offense again. <laughs> don't, don't joke like that. Don't joke like that. Uh, we're going to have despite... to reinstall the offense. We're going to have to relearn zone. It's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Oh, that's such a great line. Look, that's hilarious. Um, and it might be true too. Like I can't imagine hearing those words said by the head coach, but let's assume they're not. I was enjoying despite the struggles of the team, the recent stretch of basketball. It wasn't like we were lighting the world on fire, but we had a nice performance against SMU that led to an upset victory on the road. The first half against Wichita showed some signs. And then the second half was abysmal. It was a disaster. That said, Tari Eason is must watch TV. He's the most exciting freshman we've had um, and in, 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 since what? Lance Stevenson. And, and in terms of improvement throughout the season, I would say that his learning curve is exponential. We're seeing strides made every game in terms of what he can bring to the table. His defensive upside, we're talking Jason Maxiel. That's someone that I, that I love watching play, and he's someone that excites me in terms of watching him develop and grow into being what I expect to be you know, a great Cincinnati Bearcat basketball player. One that we talk about, you know, in, in the same likes of the other great power forwards uh, of Christmas past with Kenyon Martin, Danny Fortson, Gary Clark, 
uh, Trey Scott, you know, there's, there's so many to name air kicks, um, Yancy Gates, if you want to include him on that list. And then, Yancy and Gates. then there's, yeah. Okay. We can, no, he is like, there's, he's there's, on there's, the list. He's there's a the power, power forward. He's yeah. He's in, he's in the line, the legacy line for power forwards, but then you've well, also, and, had, he, and he was also part of that team that in, probably you could say greatly overachieved, you know, or Yancey Gates has got a sweet 16 on his resume. So That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I was too hard. Yancey Gates is clearly in that that line, that legacy line of power forwards that come through the University of Cincinnati. I don't know so why it took me a second to stop and like actually, okay, because I guess we just had this like notion of oh Yancey Gates, but no, he was a great player for us. No, we you should a do a retrospective on Yancey Gates' career at some point because I am personally guilty of being very harsh on his career, and I don't think it's appropriate given what his actual production was as a bearcat i'm sure our buddy Corey would what his production was and how he fit into that team as a whole because like i think i just mentioned that that team in a sense overachieved i mean that that season was probably one of the most fun seasons i've had watching a bearcats team in a long time yeah because we did not we cleaned close to knocking off syracuse at home we went to the finals of the big east tournament lost to the ultimate ncaa champion that year and went to the sweet 16 yeah so i mean and he came in from day one ready to, to play, right? Dan Horde mentioned it on the radio show today, but Tari Eason is the first freshman to lead the team in rebounding since Gary Clark, who was the first freshman to do that since Yancey Gates. So it's esteemed company. Did we go back another generation? Who was Yancey Gates the first one to do it since? And then he was the first one to do it since, if I were to guess... I mean, Max Seal might have had a chance of leading the team in rebounding, but I don't know if he would have led the team in that category. Someone that fact, season. someone fact check us and hit us up on Twitter uh, with, with the answers to that who, if, if there was a freshman to lead the team in rebounding prior to Yancey Gates, who was that player? I, I mean, Fortson had to do it for sure, right? Like as a freshman, Fortson was grabbing, Fortson was grabbing ten rebounds out of the womb, right? He came out of the, he came out, welcome the world, grabbing rebounds. So for he sure, out, he just came out of the womb grabbing balls. Yeah, I'd be stunned if Fortson didn't lead the team as freshman year. But we'll we'll look at those things, and and if you do have feedback on that or have an idea, you know, shoot us a message on Twitter. But I think it's the youth of this team. It's the rapid. It's the potential for rapid development. It's the you know the, the intriguing crazy, play right. of Mason Madsen. It's Zach Harvey coming into his own as a really you know top level scorer for the Bearcats. And there's the the intrigue I have in just seeing what John Brandon does the rest of the season? Like, is he pulling more out of these guys? Is he getting us to, you know, curve upward and have an upward trajectory going into the conference tournament? You know, the season largely from an at-large standpoint, as, as it pertains to the tournament, that, that ship has sailed, but that's the great thing about college basketball. There's always something to root for come conference tournament time. And that's not to say that John Brandon can't pull something more out of this team. You know, we have playing games is the only way to do that. And, Honestly, this COVID break, if anything, it's just going to cause us to have more perspective on what this season has been. That you just have to keep it in perspective. There's nothing that's been like this at any other point in college basketball. Well, I'm not going to, I don't want to, I'm, I'm guilty of this is way too much of harping on COVID. So I'm not going to talk about COVID at all. Um, what I want to point back to is what you mentioned. The thing that we're missing is these young players, but I think you're, you're, you're glancing over two of my favorite young players, because I'm not going to focus on the freshman. You, Mason Madsen, Tari Eason. Tari's great. Like, can't, can't get enough of him. Mike Saunders, I'm sophomore? so excited. Huh? Is that Carvey's a sophomore? 
Yeah, no, but I'm talking about the freshmen. I'm I'm not going to harp on too much because I think they're great. Tari Eason's great. Saunders, I'm excited about his speed. Mason Madsen, I think he has a beautiful shot. But Zach Harvey and Jeremiah Davenport were two of the players that we, at the beginning of the season, were basically saying we're going to be fighting against one another to be who is going to be the odd man out. That that's basically what we said, and that wasn't that's not fair to them at this point because they're they're completely proving us wrong. They are neither of them are fighting for the odd man out. In fact, they're they're fighting over who should be starting at this point. Jeremiah Davenport has worked his way up into that, but something that's kind of sticking out to me personally is if you're in, if anybody listened to us, if you're listening a lot, you know we rely heavily on Ken Palm for our statistics here. Um, and granted, we don't have a large sample size from Zach Harvey, but when he started kicking it into gear and becoming an offensive force for us, he's sitting right outside one of the top 100 for three-point shooting percentage in the country. And Jeremiah Davenport is sitting in the top 100 for true two-point uh, two-point shooting percentage. And what's what's unique to me with 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 Jeremiah Davenport is his two-point shots aren't the gimmies. They're not the they're not the I'm so close to the basket I can't miss necessarily. You know what I mean? Like they're you know, they're, they're 10, 15 foot jumpers. So he's, he's making tough shots. He's also is getting, he is getting the drive. He is getting some penetration, but uh, I think those two have been the biggest surprises. And I've been really excited to, to watching and see them grow because it's given me hope because we've said this uh, many a times that this team is under, it's underperforming for the talent that's on this team. For, yeah. This, this team has no business being three and seven, even playing the schedule we have. I'm not saying it's a weak schedule, but there are teams on there that we just should have beat right um central florida when we played them it looked like a team that was might be formidable in the american athletic conference well now you look at it they're the only team below us in the standings yet their only win came against is it us. usc so, or is it south florida it was ucf yeah no but it's I, i'm trying to i don't even know the standing of the conference yeah yeah ucf is long. at the bottom of the conference <laughs> they're they're last i checked they were at one and five we're at one and four so yeah i mean there's I think John Brandon would, would admit to you, this is a team that should be performing better than their record has shown. And, and it's on him to pull more out of them um, despite the circumstances. Cause every team is playing under these, you know, insane circumstances. And I know you don't want to talk about them, but it's a reality that we should be grappling with. And, and we well, have I just don't want to, I just don't want to talk about it because I'm going to go, I'm going to go down that rabbit hole of all that stuff. And I just know me. So I'm going to say squirrel and not talk about it. No, I mean, no, I I know what you're saying, and, and in realities terms of, are there for sure. It, it's tough, but at the same time, we're not the only school going through this, and so like that excuse. Sorry, I, I'm not trying to make it sound because I know what the what the cats themselves are going through is different than any other team right now because it is we're the team that's being affected. We're the team that has potentially has players we don't know for a fact because it's not going to be confirmed, but pretty sure we're probably the team that has players that actually have contracted COVID. We don't know how it's affecting them. We don't know how sick they really are. And you would imagine that if it's been at this point over two weeks, that it's, it's catching, it's going around. It's not just like we've isolated it. It's stopped. You know? So at this point, we don't even know if we're back to practice yet, but in, and it is what it is, but we're not the only team who's going through these struggles right. of, of but nobody in an isolated season and in losing players and coming back. Like that's where the, I'm basically leading everything up until the last game we played. I'm disappointed because all I've heard so far this year is excuses. And that's probably what I don't miss the most is I haven't heard, I haven't had to hear a single excuse about why we played poor that, you know, 
oh, it's, you know, the lack of, we know there's a lack of culture. We know there's a lack of, of just go all out on defense and go out for every, every ball. And look, I've said, I pointed out this before, Wichita State lost five players last season. They brought back one returning player sitting in the top four of the conference, vying for, I don't want to say a conference championship at this point because Houston's just by and far running away with that. But, you know, vying for a number two seed in the conference tournament. We're nowhere near that. And we have this, this great group of athletes and players. And that's, that's, what, that's what bugs me the most. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to, we've had the conversation many times. Frustration has not season. disappeared I get it. over two it, weeks. The, it the, just hasn't the disappeared. frustration hasn't dissipated. I miss it more than, you know, give me the frustration. I, I'll take that all day. I, I love watching Bearcats basketball. I love seeing the growing pains. I'm, I'm leaning into it, man. Lean into the process. Come on, Philadelphia. Lean into the process. Trust it. That's all we, that's all we, I mean, that's really all we have. Uh, that's all we can do this year because, you know, barring some miracle run, this is, this is what we have to look forward to seeing the growth of the players. And hopefully by the end of the season, we got 10 games left, you know, 10 games to get an identity, 10 games to develop a culture. No, it's more than 10 games. I think on our schedule, according to Kempom, we have 10 left. Right. But these games were postponed. They're going to try and make them up. We actually, no, it's, it, it's between 10 and 15 games. Well, the, the, the seeing how they actually can make them up, because I'm looking at the schedule now, you basically have Sunday, March 7th, and then you get right into the conference tur- uh, tournament. I don't see whether there's going to be time to make up a, a, yeah, lot, a lot of these so, games. Again, it's, it's between 10 and 15. And, and on the COVID point, like I get what you're saying. Everybody's dealing with the same circumstances. However, just as COVID works in the real, real world, it impacts different people in different organizations differently, right? Like it, some people get COVID and nothing happens and it comes and goes and you move on with your life. Some people are in the hospital on ventilators. Some people are dying. And I'm not saying it's that in terms of what's happening on this team. I'm just saying that it's going to impact every single team differently and when you have a break in the middle of the season, that's going to be between three and four weeks when this is all said and done. That's not normal, right? Like that's, I get that. So, I'm not, I'm not, I have no illusions that we're going to go and rattle off 10 wins here because of this break. Like I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just looking at it from, all right, I have a sample size of the first 10 games. Yeah. Literally the season's getting broken in half And the first 10 games gave me nothing really to look forward to except for looking at growth in the players and s- developing some sort of identity. And when now we come back from this really break. That's that. what we have to do. Right. Well, and now that's why I'm, that's my frustration is that we don't even really have the second half of the season at, in the same way to, we can't look at it the same way. Like before this break, you got to grade it on a curve. I'm You're hundred percent right. Before this break, we're 10, we've played 10 games We're three and seven. I'm frustrated over some of the choices John Brandon has made that were just, they were clear, bad choices from the jump. Um, and they were avoidable and we, and we, he made the mistake. He, he seemed to be correcting that. And then we get a chance to, to evaluate him on a player development basis and saying, look, here's the mistakes you made. How are you course correcting the rest of the season? How does the team improve the rest of the year? And now in the middle of that, as we're transitioning and kind of re me and you are shifting our perspective on how to evaluate this team and evaluate John Brandon's performance. Well, now there's this built-in three to four week hiatus where, I mean, if we're just being reasonable at all, you can't, what happens to the rest of the rest of the season is complete wild card. I have no idea how to evaluate this stuff. 
Guys haven't been playing basketball. Are they fit? Are they not? Are they healthy? Are they recovered? We have no idea. So at this point, all, all you right. have to do is really in, appreciate anything you get in terms of real basketball, but in terms of any sort of real accountability, I mean, I think, I think here's what you can look at if you want to, because I, I think it's, I think the term we're looking for is grade the season on a curve. We now know that this, this is a truly new season. This is a new season of starting for us. Consider this game one of the season of the, of the season. So we're back to playing. Let's come except it's temple. Uh, who's vastly better than a let's come could probably knock the socks off. Let's come too. And so when we come in at what I'm looking for, then how I'm going to evaluate this team is, you know, okay. Are we doing small things better? Are we maybe taking care of the ball better? Are we rebounding better? Are we boxing out better? Are we not watching guy? Are we playing better help defense? Right. From a, from a coaching perspective, I think this is where we have to take, this is where the stock really comes in because like you said, if players aren't ready, if they're not ready to go, we might be forced to see an offense where Chris vote is the centerpiece because someone maybe was sick and we, we can't have them out there as much because they're just not in shape. So that's fine. I guess we're, we're willing to give a little pass on that stuff now going forward. But as we get to that fifth, sixth, seventh game, like we're getting into late February here, you know, early March, I would want to see more of a shift to what is actually probably more likely going to work to win some of these games. You know, I don't want to see us abandon that small ball lineup because I think that lineup was was good. I thought we played some really great basketball at times with it. Um, but if we're literally grading on the curve, I want to see the small things done right. I want to see a culture being built. I want to see this team get an identity. That's really what I want in – I'm not even going to look at the win and loss record at the end of the season. I just want to see some semblance of an identity from the squad. Really well said. And frankly, if we clean up the small things and we're talking about turnovers, we're talking about fouls, this team has proven they're good enough to compete with everybody in the conference bar, maybe Houston, uh, given how they've been playing so far this season. So I'm not, I don't think either of us is saying that we're not expecting wins or not wanting wins. I think if, if the things are improved that we, wanted improved after 10 games, the Bearcats are going to be in a lot of games with opportunities to close games. You know, if Keith Williams finds a new level of comfort within the offense and stops pressing the left to the level he has so far this season, if he, if, if we start knocking down some free throws, if we start playing the right lineup combinations, you know, all of those things are a recipe for more victories for the Bearcats. And I guess I hope we get the chance to see it the rest of the year. We don't know at this point. Here's the thing I'll say about Keith Williams. He is a master in the stats prove it of getting to the line. He is not good at shooting foul shots when he gets there. He almost shot 80% last season. I don't, I mean, this season, but he's shooting 66%. That's what I'm saying. I know he's falling. That needs off to the, improve. Well, that's just free throws are free throws, man. Just get to it's the all up here, man. Get all, to the line and the knock them down. That's all. That's all yep. it is. Um, Hummer, let's leave it there, man. I thought it was a good conversation. I know it was all over the place, but frankly, when you go a couple weeks without basketball and there's, you know, football, we're, we're just going to, we're, we're going to get back up to steam here once we, uh, finalize our coaching staff and spring ball starts approaching, but I had fun talking to you about the uh, short squeezes and the Bearcats Mount Rushmore featuring two players that, uh, historically don't get the recognition they deserve. 
All right, man. We'll talk. We'll talk soon. Let's end the podcast. See you later, buddy. See ya. Cheers.